Thanks, Rick. I'm down here on the field with Darmok after an incredible game. An incredible game. What a victory. What? Tell me, what, what are you feeling right now? Yeah, you know, Timba, when the, when, when, the, when the walls fell. So on that third quarter, they, I really, it seemed like the game was going to get away from you there. And momentum was going against you. Tell me how you pull a team together in a moment like that. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, uh, Toto, the eyes on the sky, the islands came to Frell. What does this mean for the finals? It looks like you guys are just one game away from taking the crown. What does that, what does that mean? Where does that put you for the next game? Well, you, you know, the hammer of the god in the eyes of Mila. One more question. How do you, how do you prepare for the finals? I mean, it's, you have one more game left. Your, your coach has said that all you need to do is have spirit, put the points on the board. Where do you fall on that? A source off between the walls of Dolan. Darmok, I'm here, and that's all the time I have. Uh, it, it, I really appreciate you you uh, spending this time with us on the field here. Um, congratulations on your win, and... Uh, Jalad triumphant. Back to you, Rick. Thanks. Crab shoot! 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 Na, 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 na. Crab shoot! Welcome to episode something of the Crab Shoot. Uh, I'm Josh Millard. I'm Jesse Holden, and uh, right before we started recording, I started dragging in all the foam and baffles and everything and just started throwing them around randomly. I, uh, I, I feel like I should take a picture of this and we'll post it with the episode. It's pretty hilarious to me. It's, um, here, I'll t- I got one. Huh? <laughs> I love yes, it. We're, uh, we're taking pictures. This is, this is quality radio. It's actually uh, an underutilized thing that we um, we often we, or we used to often accompany uh, our posts on the crapshoot.net with a black and white photo of the guest or yeah in uh, uh, Andy Bayo's case of the drinks the guest brought <laughs> and uh, yeah we get we can tag that right onto this one because yeah. we just um, I put the two baffles up and then and then we kind of just piled the heaping mounds of foam that I had slowly squirreled away over the years to bring over here. Uh, thinking they would make baffles eventually, but they don't really, they're not well suited to that, but they are well suited to just being a, like you're saying, brutalist architecture thing between us. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird sort of abstract pile here that's, it's, it's got a, this is probably something that you could, you could take a picture of and sell it in an audio magazine as like some intentional scientifically designed, mm-hmm. you know, breaking up of services using a variety of oblique angles. But uh, that's actually, the thing. We just you actually do want to engineer that stuff without reflective angle, like, yep. you know, parallel sides of a room or, or but vice But when it's versa. already egg crate texture and they're like, oh, but we got to break up the angle at that point. I think you're chasing diminishing returns. I disagree. The egg crates are perfectly <laughs> symmetrical within themselves. So you have to just pile them in this exact way. Anyways, you, you, the listener, have seen the picture, I'm sure. Yes, by, this by now. By now you've given up and uh, just <laughs> just gone to look at the website, hoping that there is something there. Uh, Jesse, do you have a bottle opener? I'd I love do. to open one of these bottles. We're I drinking do. tonight. Uh, it, it's a beer. It's an imported beer, mm-hmm. imported from Mexico. Uh, it's not just Modelo. It's Modelo Especial. Especial. Spanish, of course, being a language in which the adjective follows the noun. Yes. So um, this is... So if we're going to drink multiple special model, we would drink uh, Modelo's Especial. C, like like Attorneys General or Whoppers Junior. Yeah, or AK's Forty Seven. Yes. Um, 
This is the beer. Um, if you've ever been in a Mexican restaurant and ordered a beer and it had like gold foil over the whole top, that's probably the beer you're thinking of. Yeah, well. yeah. This is the gold foily one that it's like, ooh, it's fancy. But then you're like, you know what I don't want when I'm drinking beer? Gold it's foil in my mouth. It's a foil going yeah, down your throat? It's like it just becomes extra work. It's harder to get the bottle cap off because you have to get through the slippery coat of, of gold. And then, and then you know, it's not even real gold. I found this out. I looked it up on the internet. Uh, first time I ever blacked out drunk, I was drinking Goldschlager, oh. which is real gold, and they just put it right in the fucking drink. Uh, floating flakes of hammered uh, whatever shitty carrot gold yes. is in Goldschlager, the drink. Um, and I guess the drink itself is basically like peppermint schnapps or something. It's not Probably. It seems, it seems like most of the things people like to get drunk on because it's college and that's the thing you do shots of is... It's like herbal liqueurs, which is the weird because Jägermeister, like the same thing, right? Mm. I don't know if I've ever even had Jägermeister, but my impression is it's it's another sort of like licorice herbal liqueur, you know. And the, I, I think a, an herbal liqueur is an interesting thing for like a little bit of a taste or a sip or something. But how that became something you did shots of and you sold special machines to bars so they could have several inverted chilled bottles of this at once, and somehow this is a big thing in America. You chill it because the flavor is incredibly intense and it's the like, texture is like syrupy. Well, yeah. But, so you but chill it point, so you can taste it less. You, you, you chill it to combat the actual experience of drinking it. Mm -hmm. Like exactly. you need a special. Yeah, it's I, I don't I don't I'm know. out over here. You so, really you really brought that bottle down on the table. You I'm really so just mad. give it a bam. It's so uh, it, it, the, I should have been grabbing onto the gold foil part, which is a little bit better uh, texture for a grip. Than uh, the glassy wet side part. This is the downside to this. Uh, uh, well, I don't know if it's a downside. This is this is a twist to having this stuff piled up between us. I can see. I can see. Have we established just, that there's okay. a, a mound of foam? There's a big us. mound of foam between us. Is what a we ridiculous don't, mound of foam that really I insisted on for, well. for vaguely defined uh, acoustic reasons. So, well, to cut down on on cross mic signaling, we'll see how it goes. But in any case, it's. It's a big mound of phone. It's in the middle of the table. Mm -hmm. uh, I can see Jesse. We can make eye contact. But he can't we, see my nipples. We can see nipples. each other's mouths. He can't see anything below my nipples. If you had your shirt off, I think I'd be able to see your nipples, but only just. But if I had, had it pulled up to the nipples, you might not know yet. Well, I say, yeah, because I'm going to stand it would up. Be, and... It would be bunching. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure I could see your left nipple, mm. unless you've got exceedingly low nipples. I don't think you could see my nipples from there, just because the different placement of the foam and our eyes. But the, mm. mm -hmm. yes, I've definitely got eyes on nipple. Um, but this I is can't the see. Shoot. Get ready for see. two hours of this. I can't see the rest of him. <laughs> the rest of him is, is, is obscured. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't see what happened with the beer. So I just heard a thump. Uh, and, and then we, I didn't realize what had happened was you had lost your grip on the beer cause I couldn't see well, it. I was it's hulking like, out. I'm mad. Well, well, yeah, I'm just, it's, it's, a, it's an exciting experience. So here's something that happened to me. I was in the, um, I was in the bar. I was waiting to meet up with a friend who I hadn't seen in a while, you know, excuse me. Um, and so I was sitting by myself. I'd ordered a drink and I was having some sips and some people, a couple of tables down from me were having a you know, uh, animated conversation. It was a table, uh, cartoons, six, six or seven, cartoons. six or seven girls. They weren't talking about cartoons. No, they no, were, they were, but, cause they were having an animated conversation. They were as if they were cartoons. They were animated. They had been animated. They were having an animated conversation. It's slow a down. joke. Okay. It's a okay. pun. Thanks. See. Start with that next it's time. <laughs> so um, these girls are having this animated <laughs> conversation. Um, they, we're waiting for a mutual friend of theirs to show up, and she did, and she showed up and said, hey, hey, you know, 
my friends. However, <laughs> however you that, that's how humans greet greet a each other. scenario like that, I've obviously am so socially awkward. I can't even remember what you say when you walk up to a group of mutual friends at a bar. I, I think it's greetings, fellow teens. You say hello, fellow teens. She showed up and she was with her fiance and her. She introduced him and said, you know, hey, this is Jake or who? What I forget what his name is. Uh, he's my, he's my fiance. Uh, he, you know, he just proposed to me. Um, and I was like, Oh, Hey, you know, cool. It's great to meet you. Uh, and she's like, he wants to have uh, knee reversal surgery. <laughs> and that blew my mind. And so of course all the girls are like, Oh, that's interesting. What is that? And he's just like, you know, you, the, the, a surgeon would cut your, you know, leg open and turn your knee around. So your leg bent the other way. And they were like, well, can that really happen? And he's like, I think it could. I don't see why not. <laughs> and I'm, I'm what? trying, I'm trying to get a read. Like the, the tone of delivery of something is so important. And of mm-hmm. course that being delivered like second hand. I'm trying to reproduce the tone of delivery because it was very deadpan. And so here's the two reasons that this blew my mind. Number one is you're, you just are, are got engaged and that's how your fiance introduces you. Is that you want to have this imaginary surgery that doesn't exist and that's how she introduces you to her friends and that's like number one that's what you lead with that's your personality right that's the flagship you know boat in the calvary ship calvary of your personality what's a ship calvary called Uh, what what? like a group of ships uh flotilla flotilla maybe it's i i didn't realize a calvary was a group wasn't uh, isn't a cavalry group of uh, horse? Well, first of all, it's men astride it, horses in a wartime it, scenario. I think it's cavalry. Oh, did I, I think say cavalry is s- somewhere in the Holy Land? If I oh. remember right, uh, probably a kind of car, don't you think? Probably, probably. Yeah. It's you, you know where those probably sell especially well. The Dodge Cavalries they probably sell especially well to people in cavalry. Oh, okay. Um, See, it's not even a pun. It's, it's not even a joke. I, at at this point, I was, I was mocking no the failure of that, parts. not trying to support it. Although I did have a good one the other day. Okay. Did I mention this in the last podcast? No, uh, hit me. Do you think Mitsubishi's would sell especially well among people who own Frieson Beaches named Mitzi? No? He's shaking his head no, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, so the knee reversal thing, Calvary, the, uh, a, flotilla, a flotilla of knee re- reversal surgeries. What's the word I was trying to say? Cavalry or cavalry, cavalry. like bringing the cavalry. cavalry. But see, I think of the okay. cavalry as like the collective available units of men on horses, right? Not so like what's the a squad of. Oh, sure. So sure. I would say the navy. I mean, you know, oh, oh. or or the the big boy boats, the destroyer group, some other specific. <laughs> the I don't know. Big boy boats. <laughs> I meant to say the big boats, but yes, the big boy boats. That's that's how uh, the four star Navy admirals uh, are. There four star probably. That sounds good. So the guy, this guy's flagship of his big boy boats was uh, of his personality. He's being introduced to all the, all her friends, presumably most of them for the first time. And the first thing she sees fit to mention is uh, that he wants. So I don't know if this means she's just trying to lead with like a quirk. So they have something to talk about right off the bat, and the conversation can hit the ground running, which would be brilliant if that's what they're doing. Great. Or if it's, he actually is like fixated on this idea, maybe. She's just trying to get out in front of it. Yeah. She's, like running, she's running good PR on it. 
this is Ted, and you won't believe it. He yeah. wants knee reversal surgery. He's going like, to I want knee reversal. Oh, what she said. He's got 30 minutes of ranting about this, so let's yep. just get it out of the way yeah. right now, and then you can get to know him afterwards. Well, and the thing is, if you, if you can set it up as a quirky thing and sort of a joke, and then get going, then, then maybe people will never figure out that it's not a joke, and he'll never figure out that they don't know that it's a joke. He'll just think they're... So, so she starts with it. They're like, oh my god. Kate's dating another one of those improv guys. And <laughs> uh-huh. and so they're all like, okay, I've got the premise. Yes, and... Okay. And he's like, yeah, and, and I want my knees to be backwards. And, and so, yes, and, 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 and what will you do with that? And it just goes on for half an hour, and he just goes into great detail, and they think he's amazing. And, and, and then later, they're like, Kate, your boyfriend was so funny. Or your fiance, I'm, I, you seem like a perfect fit. She's like, I know, right? I, I mean, the the knee thing. It's like, oh, the knee thing was hilarious. When's, I never, I never go, but you know, this time I will. When's his next improv show? And then Kate's like, improv, and then. That's it's the important to accidentally exploding. hit your mic when you're making a sound effect about an explosion. To right. Well, your hands were on the way to the sides of your heads to yes head. Yes, the, no, I shouldn't no, let I, the I, listeners know that you have more than one head. Uh, to to do the typical brain exploding hand motion, exactly. Where you kind of pinch each of your ears and then spread your fingertips yes, out. Yes, and then um, you end up with a pile of foam on the table. Have we described the pile of foam? All over the place. Um, so that's the, that was the, of the two things that blew my mind about that. That was the first. The second was that for several years, as a young man, pre adolescent man. I was obsessed with the idea of reversing my knees. <laughs> and this was a period of time where I didn't have a lot of friends. I lived way outside of town and I kind of just like sat in my room and read books. And when I eventually got a computer, I played on the computer a lot. But um, by and large, I just kind of like thought, had like thought experiments. And one of the most, um, one of the stickiest, what's the, what's the word? One of the ones that, that I came back to most often and for many, many years was the idea that I could turn my knees around and walk around with inverted knees and be the person who was like that. Yeah. And I thought, and so it was all I could do, even after only one beer, was all I could do to not run over to the table <laughs> and just be like, motherfuckers, I've been thinking about this for like 20 years. Listen to my ideas about this. I have all kinds of fucking ideas about how the musculature in your upper leg, upper legs would have to wrap around and the tendons would have to attach to the opposite side of the other bone and how you would have to design all the chairs in your house so you could sit in them and how fast you could run or how you would try and jump or, I mean, my, my mind was aflame with all of these things I hadn't thought about in many, many years but that I had, a period of my life, thought about way too fucking much and um i don't know it i still am not convinced that you couldn't just do it i mean if you planned out where the uh tendons of the muscles attached so that you could continue to bend the knee correctly okay so if you could you know saw the bone directly above and below the kneecap and basically 180 on each side and not have the swelling or whatever you graft the bones back together and do whatever you needed it to do you could probably be an ambulatory biped with your knees backwards Here, here's my here's my issue there um like uh, granting all of that granting that you can sex successfully reverse the knees mm-hmm. turn it all around there with the correct series of repositions and whatnot uh the musculature that supports human you know perambulation mm-hmm. uh is not 
you know, symmetrical forward and backward. Like right. if you're going to reverse your that's knees, that's why your butt's only gonna, on the back and not the front. Exactly. You're gonna you're gonna need to do some work on the uh, on at the hip level too. I think to really make that work because you don't have the same freedom of transit forward and backward on the hip bones. They're much biased towards uh, you know bringing the knee up than than drawing the knee back. Mm. You know, so you'd have a real I think a, a real limited mobility and difficulty with things like balance and whatnot. Uh, even if the knees were otherwise, you know, perfectly reversed, I think you'd really have to modify the the hip situation. You'd probably have to basically reverse your uh, pelvis, I think. So, mm. so, so you you reverse the knees, and then you also do a one eighty, uh, and and then and then you poop out your front, and you fuck in the back. <laughs> well, I mean, you can fuck in the back now too if you want to, but you, the different pieces it i guess yeah you know the point is poop out i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna run with poop out your front i think that was the better specific argument to make about the change of, you, you've of the got situation. a you've got a uh you you have a real uh uh organ mess at that point because there, as soon as you get into the torso down to the pelvis area your organs are all pretty you know arranged in a pretty specific way well yeah but i mean i, th- I think you i don't know that you could just flip that. the I mean, organs from the hip bone down 180 degrees well, i mean what do you have down there you got like at that level you're dealing with a lot of intestine you got bladder kidney uh are kidneys that far down i feel like kidneys would be a little bit higher up than actual yeah maybe like i, I, I i'm imagining somewhat that you can basically rotate at at the the hip bone itself let's just say you can just just the hip bone mm-hmm. you rotate to the extent that there are organs sitting somewhat in that hip cavity. I think the cavity would more or less still be there. You, you'd nudge things around a little bit, but I mean, women have babies. If, 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 uh, if a human wait, slow down, I know <laughs> this is a big revelation. Uh, but you know, when, when women gestate a child, there's a humongous amount of rearrangement of organs that goes on and it's, you know, sustained over a period of, uh, a few months uh, of the most significant growth there. Uh, and that's just a totally standard, normal, repeatable experience. So I feel like if there's that much room to move, there's probably enough room to accommodate a hip uh, rotation. I don't think it works because I think that the pelvis and hips, if you would turn that 180 degrees, I mean, the pivot point has to be the spinal column. Yes. And so the spine is now running diagonally from the back of your neck, basically to the front of like below your belly button, instead of just running down the back half of your torso. I don't know. I, I, we, we, I think here's what I've figured out. I've, it's a mess. You've created a need, biological need, mess. <laughs> I, I'm not the one who spent the last, like my entire life fantasizing about reversible I'm knees. About, I'm just trying to help you out. I'm so, just trying to help you and, and Ted out. <laughs> I want your improv show to be in a success. <laughs> it's going to blow the audience's mind when I walk out with my knees inverted. I'm, I'm, what I was thinking was like just below the pelvis is where you start. And what you do is you take the muscle. Mu- the muscles? You take... Um, the tendons, the contact points between the muscles and the bone, and you basically make make them wrap around the leg bones so that what, a muscle that would contract to pull the knee toward your chest would instead contract to pull it in the other direction and stuff. I think you're right that your I th- I think hip whole- flexibility has to change, but I don't think I would turn the pelvis 180 degrees. Maybe, I would probably maybe, just... What if you just I would, pro- I would retool it. that ball joint in the, the hip about... 
30 degrees towards the back. I, I honestly, I would break, I would break the hip bones out from that ball joint and I would create a new, create new ball artificial. and socket joint okay. a little further out. Maybe. Well, that seems much more reasonable. I think yeah. that's definitely the way. Because otherwise you're turning all the organs around and making a fucking Okay. Mess. I want to say reverse one knee. What if you just reversed one knee? You'd sacrifice probably some top speed in your primary direction, but I think you could get both going there, and you'd have a lot more rotational flexibility too. You, could th- you, spin you would like look, you would look like a like an idiot instead of super awesome, <laughs> like I always pictured it. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what what drew me to this idea, except that I thought it would freak people the fuck out to see how awesome I looked with my knees working the other way. I remember a special effects sequence from some film, and I can't remember what I want to say. I know what it is. I'll bet I know what it is. What What is it? It's the Arrival with Charlie Sheen. Oh, yes, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, a, a dude turns out to be an alien, I think. Several people do. Yeah, um, and, and... And you don't... And, and they, they walk among us, but the way you know they're an alien is when they think no one is looking, they kind of like jerk, jerk their knees to go the other direction. This was years after I had come up with the idea independently. They probably but stole I, it I was you. transfixed by this. The movie was pretty terrible, but the, the it not impression it gave me when I was watching it... The way the way someone looks when they run when their knees are the other way around, um, I don't know if the special effects hold up now, but at the time it was really convincing and it was really uh, unsettling in a really f- exciting and interesting way. Yeah, I feel like I remember. It's kind of like a having... body dysmorphia thing where you just something just being that much off, it both upsets you and like fascinates you. Um, you know, like I don't know. How how many movies have played with this sort of body dysmorphia, like Quato and uh, Oh sure, yeah, or you know any of any of I'm sure a hundred examples I could come up. Body with. horror as yeah. a, a a general, but a but general sub genre, not just to totally like give you nightmares, but also to kind of like show you an interesting, fascinating, sure, variation. Well, yeah, on and what I, you I, think I'm inclined the, to use the term body horror for stuff that involves that sort of like you know manifestation of, of dysmorphic ideas, not necessarily just because it's literally going for a horror reaction, but kind of the idea, things that fall into what would provoke what I think was a body horror reaction for mm-hmm. the people that provokes it in. Like, I mean, Cronenberg's stuff, some of his effects have that weird sort of organic machinery stuff or, or weird fake organic stuff that, you know, it's not necessarily uh, trying explicitly to be like, oh, this is a horror element. I mean, I wouldn't say that Naked Lunch was a horror film, but at the same time, there is uh, that element of this this strangeness, this reaction to this thing that is bridging this gap between uh, what we think of as normal body and what we think of as you know something alien and strange or mm-hmm. normal organic, you know, not even our own body necessarily. Um, but yeah, the, the 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 idea of a flesh typewriter is gross mm-hmm. uh, because the effects are, you know, pretty uh, substantial feeling like, you know, there, there, there's something about that flesh typewriter thing in Naked Lunch that really sells a kind of physicality. There's something about it as an actual like physical, you know, puppet effect, essentially, uh, versus like you can do the same thing with CGI and maybe make something that looks good. But there's something I think just sort of fundamentally effective about that sort of effective that that practical prop that 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 actual physical flesh puppet typewriter you know that's a weird thing and it's not because I'm like oh shit what if I grew a typewriter on my knee or something you know I'm not literally experiencing horror at the idea of something happening to my body 
but it's off-putting it's weird it's it's uncanny valley it's it's mm-hmm. it's something that's not quite right but still recognizable we can try to make sense of it but just not quite succeed right or all the mugwumps in that movie yeah yeah, yeah. Um, or the weird organic weapons in existence mm-hmm. which was very much the same sort of feel as i recall i need to watch that movie again sometime it's you know you know what movie i think is um uh in a league of its own is the fly um i think that the the marriage of uh Cronenberg to the idea of you know a human animal hybrid absolutely although you know i was I, was just perfect i watched that again recently we did that for uh we have such films to show you actually uh, a few episodes ago okay and uh i agree and i really enjoyed the effects in the film i've really enjoyed watching that film again in general i'd sort of forgotten a lot about it I, it was um, one of the most effective movies I've ever seen. I was pretty it, young when I saw it. Yeah, but yeah, it yeah, really... yeah. And it's 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 got great effects, and it's all practical effects. And he just did a. There's Jeff Goldblum in the process of going from being nebbishy uh, genius Seth Brundle to being literally a humanoid fly. You know, he goes through several stages of makeup, and they're all really great. And the early ones are mostly just you know makeup effects. You know, making his eyes look mm-hmm. sort of like bloodshot, and his skin gets a little bit blotchy. Um, and then it starts to, to put on like applications as well. And it starts to get all gross and lumpy and, and so mm-hmm. on. And yeah, they did a great job with that. And the final so- fly transformation at the end, eventually Seth Brundle goes from being a guy who looks horrible to just his flesh sort of melting off. And now he's a giant bipedal fly mm-hmm. who's seven feet tall. Um, yeah, the whole thing is really great. But I actually, I feel like that film is a little bit less distinctively that organic Cronenberg effect that I'm thinking of versus the stuff in Naked Lunch or in Existence, where those almost had a sort of explicit non-human unreality to them that was different from Goldblum's steady decay into a fly hmm. in the fly. The fly the fly felt more like tangibly sort of like gross the idea of literally the nature of the human body molting, whereas the stuff I'm thinking of in Existence feels more like things that should not be organic and yet are, like the organic typewriter, the organic weapon thing, whatever it was in Existence, uh, the Mogwamps also as sort of like mm-hmm. they look, you know, they, they don't even look real, real. You don't look at them and say, oh, man, that is an amazing, you know, uh, realization of a totally believable alien creature. They, they look a little bit like this is some weird bullshit, but that's kind of the nature of just sort of the feel of the whole movie and to some extent the feel of the unreality of some of Burroughs' writing that, you know, drove the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I would say, like, The Fly is more creepy and goopy, like a practical effect, like the transformation, the the coming back to life scene of Frank and Hellraiser or some of those things where mm-hmm. it's a really great sort of goopy horror effect, but it doesn't have quite that same offness. Like, you know, that's the thing. Like, The Fly, he never felt off. It just felt like a really good makeup effect of this stage of some transformation that he was going through. Hmm. I don't know if I, I, I don't feel like I'm quite capturing. No, I think I, I think I see what you're getting at. And, and I, I mostly agree, but not entirely. Um, plus you, the, the true final, you know, version of the fly you get in the movie, the fly is when the system goes haywire at the end after being hit by a shotgun and teleports him and the other teleporter yes. into one being. Yes. And so he's like a horrifying biomechanical yeah. thing with bits of scrap metal and stuff all intertwined with his physiology. Yeah. And stuff. That was, that so was, a, that was a great final. Really? Yeah. It went for broke at the end in a yeah. really successful way. I thought, um, okay, well, so 
So we agree. I guess you're not. I mean, I guess I'm not going to get the surgery before the next episode, but I, well, I, it's, it's not off the table as far as I'm concerned. If you have thoughts about how reversing these would work, you mm-hmm. know, what we need to take into account, you know, you know, write in. I haven't even gotten into how I was going to design all the chairs in my house because that's a whole nother thing. Oh, yeah. Because you don't want to sit on your, you know, scenario. Your junk. Junk. Right. Do you call it the scenario? Well, sometimes, you know, you, do you call it your scenario and those exact words. Like, he was like, <laughs> hey, uh, do you think you could uh, maybe uh, pay a little attention to your scenario? Hey, uh, don't kick me in your scenario. Sense. I don't know. I'm t- <laughs> <laughs> the, the tricky thing about, like, discussing right. so, someone hands me the like, mic at a wedding. And when I would just you say, ever? <laughs> when, when are you ever? I guess, I, I, I guess, you know, during a romantic interlude. Uh, Do you think you okay? Well, <laughs> say that sentence with any other terms for junk well, that's and not thing, have that's, it sound I, weird. I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I really can't think of of a good example. Is the problem? It just doesn't really particularly come up. Uh, hey yo, <laughs> we should go to a break. I think it's time. All right, we'll, All right. we'll be right back. All right. fun to be around you and I like it when you smile And I felt something about you for at least a little while But I don't want to imply that this is something that it's not I don't know if I love you but I like like you a lot Spell your name with candy hearts but we just laugh it off Your voice cracks when you see me but you hide it with a cough Stutter in my step betrays a flutter in my heart Afraid to say I love you, but I like like you to start. I choose, choose, choose to believe there's something in between us when we catch each other's eyes. Both of our hearts are saying, "Dang!" Dang. So here I am out on a limb, hoping you'll sit up in this tree with me. This Valentine's will end with not a whimper, but a bang. I like the thing we have right now, but I think it could be more. It makes me pretty nervous thinking what could be in store. The L word's pretty scary, but the L L word. And we're back. We are so back. We're incredibly back. We are. Um, did you have anything? No, because no. I, I have a couple topics. If yeah, you bring it. To. Bring it. All right. Um, I feel I like mean, I, I could, do all the work in this relationship. I could, I, I could talk about uh, two solid weeks of discussing. Uh, misogyny and casual sexism on the internet and specifically on Metafilter and Metatalk, but... Uh, That's fascinating to me, oh, if you Jesus. actually want to. <laughs> I don't know. We'll think about it. We'll, maybe, okay. maybe I'll get my, my brain spooled up on it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, here's a question. Do you... Is, well, first, question number one is... For the listener, he's holding up a single digit as an index finger to indicate that it's not one. actually a question. It's uh, insistence. Insistence number one is stop me if we've actually talked about this on the show before, because I can't actually in this moment remember. Question number one <laughs> is, uh, do you have you ever had a lucid dream? I think we may have talked about lucid dreaming. Uh, Was it on many episodes ago? OK, um, the, 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 I think you're right. Well, let's split the difference and I'll summarize. I don't believe I've ever had a lucid dream as mm. I understand them as like, you know, having sort of like self-aware full control over your dreaming experience. I have had dreams where I have effectively had a negative emotional reaction to the content that I was a little bit self-aware that was a negative reaction to the content of a dream. And then the dream got better. So I've definitely had a sort of 
kind of liminal interaction with the general feel of a dream. Did you feel like it was because you had had that thought that you, the dream did get better? I think it's because I became a little bit, I I managed to get to a state where I was sort of like aware that what was going on was uh, a non-real thing uh, and that I just didn't kind of approve where it was. But all in a very sort of like, you know, this is sort of like my analysis upon waking mm-hmm, is that this mm-hmm. is what happened. And, you know, this may be something. Right. Where, One of the big pitfalls of trying to analyze these things is that you project intentionality onto your dreams when you're thinking back onto them. And and that's one of the things I was accused of doing when I was trying to describe a lucid dream. Well, and this is probably one of the things we talked about too, is like, if you haven't had the experience of lucid dreaming, lucid dreaming sounds like bullshit that someone makes up because <laughs> come the fuck on. Whereas, you know, I, I totally acknowledge that uh, it may well be a thing that just other people experience and I don't. And I'm willing to acknowledge that uh, I don't need to insist that anything I haven't experienced doesn't exist. I, I certainly have less quibbles with the idea of lucid dreaming as a phenomenon than I do with uh, like the existence of omniscient religious beings laying down moral codes. Right. And I can make my peace with people believing in that. So why <laughs> am I going to be a shithead about lucid dreaming right. unless someone's super duper fucking obnoxious about it? Yeah, it, it, it's something that I think that um, it's hard to argue with the alternate interpretation of a lucid dream being that you're dreaming that you are in control of the dream <laughs> and you're not actually in control of the dream. Right. Yep. But then you get down and you, 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 you try and like dissect that and well, what's the difference and how, where does intentionality even come into it? How much of that is post hoc, you know, just a reinterpretation of the events of the dream and how much of it was actually used really steering the ship or just dreaming that you were steering yeah. a dream. It's, I don't know. It gets yeah, complicated. It's controlling your dream, something that you, have dreams about i mean if if a lot of people have dreams about forgetting their locker combination Mm -hmm. or showing up to class naked or their teeth or or their hair falling out Mm -hmm. you know if if these are common things that that multiple people like lots and lots of people have these common themes in their dreams uh and and arguably it could be a self-reinforcing thing where people hear that people dream about that and then they have a dream about it but i think i think there's something to be said about the natural way the brain deals with you know mortality and fragility and the frailness of the human body and the idea that everybody has had teeth actually fall out because everybody's been a kid Mm. and even though by the time your fourth or fifth tooth comes out as a kid i'm sure you're completely over it even if like the first one or two are traumatic which it is for some kids apparently um you know that that core trauma may still be there and as you turn into adult you may have tooth problems that bring back something so you know maybe the reason that we all have dreams about teeth falling out is we all were freaked out by teeth falling out when we were four years old or whatever uh, i think it ties into the body horror thing we were talking about sure. and, and that why body horror is simultaneously like repellent and also fascinating is that i think we can really identify with it because we have a really um We have a really ingrained and hardwired sense of our own self and physicality. And when that is changed, uh, you get things like phantom limb syndrome. You get things like nightmares about all your teeth falling out. There's there's a really – and, I mean, having um, done LSD in my life and having had 
uh, blood hallucinations on LSD, there's something really, really deep in your kind of psyche that that grabs onto and yanks at um, because there's something, you know, if I'd seen anything, if I had seen whatever water or uh, cream filling or something pour out of a tree, it would be one thing. But seeing blood pour out of a tree or blood pooling on the ceiling above me as if it were about to gush down upon me, uh, your body kind of has a sense sense of what belongs and what doesn't. And to see blood is meant to trigger a very deep instinctual reaction in you, a really self-protective reaction in you. And that's the same reason I think skeletons in movies you know, tradition. It was one of the first scary things you could show in a movie in the early days of even making movies, a skeleton, because you could see that and you could recognize the humanity in it, but know that you weren't supposed to be seeing it. And if so, you were able to see it, something was do wrong. Think, do you think and people if really you have a blood, visceral reaction to skeletons, though? Like, I, I think I think the blood thing I can buy a little bit more just because it seems like a much more except like, like even if you have no understanding of anatomy, you kind of understand blood, it seems like. Like that, that is the level of instinct that by whatever means, by whatever means of instinct and acculturation and, you know, possibly even just weird coincidence there, it does seem like there's a very sort of elemental, if you will, and I kind of won't, but if you will, elemental reaction to Mm. blood, like Mm -hmm. it is something that does seem to exist at a deep psychological level as something we have a response to. Mm. I think anybody would freak out if they saw one of their bones sticking out of their arm or something, but I don't think people really have the same instinctive connection to skeletons. Like, I I don't think I I feel like a skeleton is something we're taught about hmm. much more than than blood is like blood seems to be something that is a lot more accessible, whereas like I, I really feel like a skeleton is something that's scary because we've been taught that skeletons are scary things. Maybe. I mean, I think no matter what, there's a um a uncanny valley aspect to it that you know you're looking at a face but it's not quite right like you know that this is a constructional thing of the face i think i think that 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 i i can i can stand behind pretty much 100 percent i can see behind the idea that we actually like instinctually recognize what a skeleton represents i'm not sure you know yeah I, i think that if you if you raised a child with no human interaction and it never was injured until it was whatever you know actualized it was a teenager or whatever um, in some kind of weird dark experiment. So you're proposing um, that we engage and then, in an And then you made it wake up with blood all over its arm one morning versus like some similarly viscous blue fluid. I think the baby would react really differently to the blood, even if it had never seen blood before, because I think we actually sort of are hardwired to react in that way. Um, I mean, color theory, all these things come into play here. Um, but uh, but if you if that same kid who had never been exposed to any other human being stumbled across a skeleton. I sort of think they would, yeah, on some level, start to recognize it for what it was because there's kind of a sense of humanity to what a skull yeah, looks but like I and think, stuff I think and the general a... shape of it. But I don't, I don't know if it would be as immediate and, and alarming as the sight of blood would be. Yeah, maybe? like I think you could reason out from scratch a skeleton as something with a human form. Do you think it would be immediately upsetting or it would just look like a pile of weird shaped rocks at first to it, uh, to a kid with no, I've, I've never seen a human being in a mirror. I bet. Okay. Or so my a human my, being or himself or herself in a mirror. Here, here, here's my thought on, I think, I think if you've came across a complete skeleton or a significantly complete skeleton, the human form of it would be 
sort of undeniable in a way that would probably register fairly quickly. I think even if you didn't understand the concept of skeletons, mm -hmm. if you saw this thing, you'd be able to see that it has a head and shoulders and 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 a chest and and legs and arms and fingers and toes. Right. And that would be sufficient to be a really fucking weird thing to encounter. And if you had no idea about the concept of skeleton, probably an extremely weird thing to encounter. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the flip side of us being exposed to the idea of skeletons as, you know, animated monsters and whatnot is like, we're also very familiar with anatomy compared to someone from, you know, sure. 500, a thousand years ago or 10,000 years ago. Right. Or, our, you know, thought experiment person who's yeah. ever seen. A right, right, right. Um, I think, I think probably the effective thing with making a skeleton really scary as a movie monster is animating it. Um, and this is something that really only works for the movie monster thing because it doesn't really work in real life. You're never going to come across an animated skeleton. Mm -hmm. But in a movie, if you see, it's one thing to see a skeletal hand and people say, oh, that looks like a hand. It's another thing to see it move in a way that like is very human. And I think that mm -hmm. would that just a little bit of movement would be enough to really sell the humanity of it even more than just recognizing the the shape of a skeletal hand. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that that our, our visceral reaction to skeletons is just the same visceral reaction we would have to any monster that looked humanoid but didn't look like a human yeah. in that shape. I mean, if, if no human had ever seen a skeleton and then aliens showed up and they looked like we understand skeletons to look, they might be just as effective. Yeah. So I might be wrong that it's, we're reacting to it because we kind of understand our essential humanity and that it's part of us in a body horror aspect. Maybe it's more just that it's humanness. You know, right. But somehow to, fucked up yeah. and scary because you yeah, can exactly. see teeth and it's a wrong color and stuff. Yeah. Did you ever go to body worlds? Uh, that, that's the thing with a plasticized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, they, they, they have that at OMSI. They've had a couple, they've, um, it's come through, uh, OMSI in Portland a couple times. Yeah, they, they had it a few years ago and, and Angela and I went and, uh, it was actually really neat. Yeah. I, I thought that was really, really strange and interesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it made me think of, uh, the movie, the cell, which I think in turn, you know, was, mm. you know, some of the graphical effects in that were inspired by, you know, the, the work that went into uh, body worlds as well mm -hmm. as I think Damien Hirsch's sections of a horse. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. There's a real striking scene in the cell where a horse is divided into, you know, three inch sections by uh, dividing transparent, dividing slats that slide down through its body and then spread yeah. it apart. Um, which is, you know, as far as movie making goes, that's a pretty effective shot and yep. scene and, yep. and well, 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 yeah, I remember, idea. I remember really enjoying the effects and the, the look of that film while also just finding the story kind of plotting and annoying. And I really should watch it again. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause like, even though I'll probably be more annoyed by the plot the second time, I think I I'll really to give enjoy it a rewatch. The... My, my, th my feeling on coming out of that, of the movie theater when I saw the cell was that, um, Everything that happens outside of kind of the dreamscape that all the fascinating stuff happens in is really, really shitty. It's yeah, the dialogue it's, it's, is really it, shitty. Yeah, it's, written. Like, it's like a the plot is really clumsily of, thrown uh, together. CSI or something. So what my feeling coming out of it at the time was, uh, why couldn't they have told the entire story within the dreamscape? They could have just kind of, uh, you know, brought you brought you the audience in uh, in medias res or whatever. Uh, like it's already underway. The experiment, and it's the, could be have the same plot that you know what uh, they have this new technology. It allows you to dive into the comatose dreams of a killer to find out where you know their their last victim is slowly you know being drowned by this system that he'd set into motion. But tell the entire story from within there and slowly reveal to the audience as the investigator or whoever is diving in 
has to interrogate his thoughts and ideas and stuff like that and just set the entire thing in there. And I thought that that could have been done. It would have been more ambitious and it would have been more expensive because I yeah, think every I, minute in the dream world was probably pretty expensive because yeah. it's art direction art directed up the wazoo. Yeah. But uh, it would have been so much more effective because everything outside of that dream world was just as awful as you remember. Yeah. I have, I have basically two major theories on why there was not more in the really sumptuous, striking, visually memorable dream stuff. Uh, and one is, as you said, expensive because mm-hmm. it's a lot more expensive to do a complicated uh, visual effect sequence than it is to do Vincent D'Onofrio sort of seating uh, in a warehouse or whatever. Um, but the other thing is, I think maybe also whoever wrote it was under the mistaken impression that it was a really interesting duality <laughs> rather than just the good parts of the movie and the shitty parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I can imagine the script on paper feeling sort of balanced that way. I can imagine sort of writing it and thinking, okay, I'm going to juxtapose those. I'm, I'm going to juxtapose mm-hmm. the butt of the foes. I'm going to juxtapose these two different narratives and I'm going to pass symbolism between them. And there's going to be these parallelisms and there's going to be differences in tone and differences in look. And, you know, the dream sequence will all, all be very warm colors and very sumptuous and lush, uh, you know, and the the real world stuff will, by contrast, be much, you know, sort of bluer and colder and flatter and stark lighting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these these the, the conflict and the tension between these two and the movement back and forth will really help drive the film forward in a way that keeps it, you know, and, and put in those terms, that sounds like really sensible sort of writing and set up for direction. Like sure. Contrasting between, you know, the look and the feel and the sound and the pacing of scenes is a way to keep a film from becoming sort of static. And also give the audience a way into the movie. I mean, there's, you know, if the audience sits down in the theater and doesn't see a single scenario that they recognize, and it's all these fantastical dreamscapes, then, you know, I, I can imagine writing a movie like that and just saying, well, probably 40 percent of the audience is going to walk out in the first 20 minutes because nothing has happened that makes any sense to them necessarily. It takes work, right? It takes they have to understand what's happening without being ever shown explicitly what's happening, which is that two people are being suspended in this like dream sharing machine yeah. or whatever. Um, as well as, you know, it's it's hard to pitch that to someone who wants to make your movie, probably. You know, you you they probably want you to have something that really, like, grounds the movie in reality and, and has a kind of a race against time happening well, and if you've got on a, screen. If you've got a serious out. budget like that, you're probably also definitely going to be doing audience testing and a sort of corporate way to, mm-hmm. you know, unless you really, really, really... Like if, if you're a huge, huge director and you basically own the process, great. But otherwise, right. uh, you know, you're probably going to be somewhat beholden on the basis of getting funding to having the people providing the funding being able to say, OK, but let's let's right. do some test screenings and maybe yeah. see. If I mean, I, I, think it's to, I think it's to the movie's credit that it got as much fascinating visual imagery on the screen that it did. It just I wish it was held together better or just the holding together stuff was just thrown out entirely. You know, it's interesting. They made a sequel. I didn't know that. By they, I mean someone, because definitely not <laughs> they in the sense of the people responsible for anything that was good about the first one or the budget that provided it. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. like direct-to-video, the cell two, and it was really bad. It was mm-hmm. I watched it. Uh, I 
I rarely don't pay full attention to something I'm watching. Like, I just really don't do that. Mm -hmm. And I think I just got to the point with this where it's like, this is shitty enough that I don't really care. (laughs) But I thought, I think I may have pulled up my laptop and sort of like, you know, half-assed my way through the second half of the film. It was just, it was just, you know, it was a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was a low budget piece of shit. And when, when the film you're doing the sequel to, when it's defining characteristic were these really amazingly realized, lush, Mm -hmm. vivid dream sequence type things. And you're trying to like half-ass that on no budget. Uh, it's right. It's real bad. Right. Uh, speaking of movies, you probably didn't realize there was a sequel to. You know, there's a sequel to Donnie Darko. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I have a mouthful of beer, but what? <laughs> uh, yeah, it follows the story of uh, Donnie's younger sister after the events of Donnie Darko. I thought it was his older sister. There is an older sister oh, and a younger oh, sister oh, okay, in the movie. Okay. Yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal plays his older sister. Okay. But this is Rosie Darko, his, yeah. uh, you know, uh, pretty pretty young, I think elementary school or, yeah. or even earlier. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, younger sister. I, I forgot. It's been a while since I've seen Donna Darko. I need to see it again. Uh, Leprechaun uh, Back to the Hood was a sequel to Leprechaun in the Hood. Did I did know not that? know that. Yeah, there you go. Did you know that Kathy Ireland wasn't in one of those movies? I really, really... Sw- <laughs> You know, you know, uh, I, I swear to There's God, probably I, a lot of people who weren't in one of those. Yeah, but movies. I had a very, very specific memory of like Kathy Ireland and being like in in like Leprechaun three or something mm. like I really I was positive she was in it because it seemed like the right era. Mm-hmm. Um, but no. So and this is the dumbest fucking story I could tell. Hey, you know who wasn't in a movie? But the point is, I this was not like a, oh, I thought that. It's up there, Josh. Oh, I don't know if it's number you know, one, but it's, it's up there. <laughs> but it's so weird. Like, she must have been in something. Sure. And someone obviously was in, you know, the Leprechaun movies. I don't think there's uh, a movie you could compare to Leprechaun back to the hood. So I, but, you're, you're obviously. But here's the thing. If I'm wrong that up. Kathy Ireland was in this movie, am I wrong? Because somehow I decided that because her name is Kathy Ireland, <laughs> oh, she no. must have been in a Leprechaun movie. <laughs> like, did my brain actually make that fucking leap and just say, yep, sounds legit. Let's just internalize this. Let's be sure about this. And not think about it for 10, 15 years, and then Josh can just bring it up at some point. Well, based on the mechanism by which their car joke works, I am 100% prepared to believe that your brain just did that to you. Car joke? Yeah. The, where you where you um, name types of cars oh, and oh, do okay. free word association and call it a joke. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, it's not a joke it's a bit it's, it's a, a it's a concept right. it's it's a, right. it's 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 a it's a platform for and riffing it's a it's it's a humor platform i'm only better because i can't pull it off so <laughs> um the other movie was uh cube do you remember the movie cube yes I so really there's like two cube. sequels to cube yes and i've only seen the first one okay uh, cube two hypercube hypercube and then uh, uh, which was not great right i mean cube was a low budget thing and it was it had plenty of problems, but I really liked it. You know, I liked it for what it was. I liked mm-hmm. it for being this sort of surprising, weird little thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a good cast uh, for a low-budget film. And there, there are a bunch of people in it. It's like, oh, yeah, they were also in those other things. Mm-hmm. Esri Dax was in Cube. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Cube 2 was uh, not, not so good. And then I never saw Cube Zero. That's right. That's what the last one was, was Cube Zero. So Cube 2 was the one that they tried to play with, like, temporality. I think so, yeah. Like, Cube was all about kind of physical spaces and orientation and stuff. And Hypercube was supposed to be about, 
you are moving back and forward through time. And then Cube Zero was kind of like meant to be a backstory of the creation of Cube. But um, as I recall, having Netflixed it when Netflix was a DVD rental service. Do you remember this? <laughs> um, they just, sh- someone wrote a like a super cheesy new metal song for the movie and they just used it throughout and then they showed you the video to the song <laughs> at some point during oh, the wow. movie and it was really like, I don't know. So someone really just wanted their own <laughs> to make their own thing out of it or something. I don't know. Uh, not great movies. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I would I would revisit Cube. I would be curious to know how. Yeah, Cube watch, held I, I, I still want to watch Cube Zero actually, even though I expect it to be bad. Uh, just because I'd like to see. Yeah, you know, like they, it's it's one of those like I I'm excited enough about just sort of like the feel they managed to get, if not totally realized with the first film, that I'm willing to sit through some bad sequels just to see a little bit more of people playing with that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is essentially how I ended up watching all those terrible Hellraiser movies. Which was like <laughs> I know these are going to be bad. I've seen some of them and know exactly how bad they are but at the same time i like the idea behind it enough that i'm willing to continue subjecting myself to this stupid terrible stuff well the worst hellraiser movie is worse than the worst cube movie the worst uh, hellraiser movie is 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 worse than most (laughs) movies i have ever seen like it's you know aggressively bad like not even yeah right god yeah rest in peace roger ebert he 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 really really was good at uh, talking about why he loved movies that he loved, <laughs> but he was also really, really good at talking about movies that he hated. Yep. And um, one of the one of my favorite, uh, he was talking about a movie called Mad Dog Time, and he said, "This is the first movie I've ever seen that does not improve on the sight of staring at a blank wall for two hours." <laughs> this movie should be cut up into ukulele picks for the poor. <laughs> Nice. Although I'm not sure, I'm not sure film stock is really thick enough. Well, I guess a ukulele's got pretty light strings. That'd work. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough, Raj. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Uh, not that it's celluloid anymore, but because uh, it's very flammable. But uh, but yes, I think we should take a quick break. I think we should take a quick break. All right. Right. I think we should take a quick break. Hey. Let's- Drift away instead 
Jesse, can I have the uh, the the honor of borrowing your bottle opener? Yes, sir. I'd be. Uh, How did I get all this cat hair all over me? Uh, uh you know. I, when I was smothering myself in your cat hair covered pillows when what? I had a, a ill advised idea of piling them between us. <laughs> you know, and I feel so bad too barriers. because because she was like, oh, you should pick up down here before Jesse gets here, and I made sure the cat pillows were out of the way. And, no, and you, then you went over and grabbed them. It looks them. great just down like, here. It's like, yeah, it, it was really, that was, just, that was an amazing I'm, I'm moment magnet, magnet, magnetically attracted to uh, things that are a bad idea. Uh, so I had two topics. Yes. And it burned through them. So yes. give me what you got. Oh, geez. Well, we could, we, we could talk about sexism on the internet, or... We could talk about video games. Okay. Just at random. Sure. You know, and basically coin flip, I guess. Okay. Uh, I've been playing a, a, a fun little game on uh, iOS called 20. Okay. Uh, did you ever play threes? Uh-huh. For sure. Uh, and then 20, I still play 20, threes. 2048 was the internet open source riffage phenomena. Right. That was no that. good. It wasn't bad, but it was like it was no, different. It was and, and the weird, the, the way it took off like crazy was kind of funny. We may have even talked about this a little bit, but but in any case, uh, recently uh, someone had I think I think Threes had some content removed from some app store or something because it used the had some sort of association to twenty forty eight, like oh, which gosh. is like the yeah. Anyway, Brutal. the point is twenty twenty is something else by someone else as far as i know <laughs> but it it gives me a similar vibe it's like okay. it, what if you took threes and made it sort of twitch like add a real time component okay um but otherwise had a similar idea of combining like tiles to get the next rank tile up and so on and so forth so if you start with a bunch of little ones and twos and threes and sort of a tetris board sort of situation and then you're combining them and trying to slowly create your way up to combining a couple 19s and do a 20 is the notional end state Okay. Uh, that's a fun little thing, and I guess I don't really have anything to say about it other than it seems thematically iterating on some of the ideas in threes in the best way I've seen so far of a thematic iteration. Um, and really the one downside to it is if you really like the slow, contemplative, turn-based nature of threes, 20 is decidedly more hectic. Although if you pay the two bucks to get the non-free upgraded version of it on iOS, for example... Um, it has several other game modes, including a Zen mode where it is turn-based, where the 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 sort of game gets more advanced every several moves you make rather than every 10 seconds or whatever. Oh, I see, yeah. Uh, and it was a fun game. If you haven't played it, we don't really have much to discuss, but that's a fun game. Okay. So I like that. Uh, cool. I've, I've been playing some couch co-op games the last uh, few weeks. Oh, tell me about those. That's, uh, that's a genre I'm really into. Yeah, it, it's something I haven't done so much. These are these are games that are meant to be played you know, in the same room multiplayer. Mm-hmm. And I've played multiplayer games uh, a lot over the years, but you know, very much you know, internet stuff. You know, I, I, I got into... 
uh, Quake in college and played so much Quake on on the on the LAN when Fuck. I was at school. Yes. Yeah, and and then eventually uh, Day of Defeat and Counter Strike uh, as early uh, Half Life mods, mm-hmm. um, and played a lot of Counter Strike, a lot of that. I played um, a lot of Team Fortress as a Quake One mod. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of missed out on that, and I wish I had sort of been there for that because I think I would have loved yeah, it. Two four five. Yeah. Two four five R actually, I think, was the variant that got their most traction. But, yeah, and I played a bunch of the original Team Fortress Classic that uh, Valve put out mm-hmm. back in the Half Life One days, and I played a bunch of mm-hmm. TF two as well. Um, and, this know, is, this is how poison my brain is. I still think of like Unreal and Half Life as the new wave of first person shooters. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh man, yeah, it's strange. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, you know, so a lot of a lot of online internet games, sort of like team and deathmatch games, mm-hmm. online on the internet. But I haven't played a lot of stuff like multiplayer in person in a long time. You know, even when I've had uh, like like most of it that I have done has been like me and Angela playing uh, like Wii games mostly together mm-hmm. or occasional Xbox games. Uh, but that depends on both of us having time at the time. And, and uh, so it's, you know, I, I tend to play multiplayer online or just play a lot of single player stuff, which is not a problem because I really enjoy a lot of single player stuff. And I kind of enjoy not having to pace myself against someone else. Um you know, there's there's a certain freedom to that, like to the point where like I can get away with playing video games during the day when I'm working on Metafilter um, because there tends to be a lot of lulls. You know, some days are very busy, but but a lot of days will be quieter and it's more I need to do a bunch of thoughtful work quickly when it comes up. But then there might be like, you know, 10, 15 minutes between, you know, flags coming in or emails coming in that need answering. Right. And that's a couple uh, checkpoints. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can totally play a game, but I I don't play like multiplayer games. I don't play online games uh, during work hours because that's not a thing where if I want to play Counter-Strike, I can get through probably a round of Counter-Strike in 15 minutes, which is kind of an okay time, but then the next round starts pretty quick and maybe something will come up halfway through it and I'm not even paying attention to, if I'm that intense in something, I'm not looking over every you know right. three minutes to see what's up. Uh, so it doesn't really, it's not really compatible with that. And I was a pretty competitive online gamer in the era of unreal and the first unreal tournament. Those were my two big games. And I, it, you know, a lot of people played half-life multiplayer, which I always thought was a little overvalued because the single player of half-life was so awesome. It yeah. meant that everybody bought it yeah, and that Half-Life meant that it was what was everybody kinda, had yeah. and that was when everybody could deathmatch. Uh, but even at the time I was like, this is, you know, you guys are on the, wrong train here it's a yeah. is obviously the way to go with this stuff but um i was pretty competitive and i was and i was pretty i, I could hold my own pretty well and and including in quake or or um what i don't know if this the windows windows world had this but um you know quake had online multiplayer but the co- the network stack was really really uh inefficient yeah. and so there was a project to develop a network optimized version of quake that was released as Quake World. Yeah. And you still had to have the, you know, uh, the wads. wad fight, whatever. I think that was still wads in Quake, yeah. But the, you know, pack or whatever, you know, the, you, you had to have all the resources for Quake, but you could download a program called Quake World, which was basically a network optimized version of Quake, and that t- really took off. And that's where, as we mentioned, Team Fortress and all these other things uh, spawned from. And so I played a lot of that. And because I was a Mac user, I didn't have a lot of, Options, yeah, or alternatives to really turn to, especially as the first-person shooter genre really started to take off, and games like Half-Life really started to create even a bigger divide between Mac gamers and other gamers. Yeah, um, 
But then, you know, I got really, really deeply into Unreal and then Unreal Tournament, and I really held my own. But, in, in, you know, in since then, I there's almost nothing I've really played online in a, in a way that I think I was really competitive to or competitive at. And um, my, my interest has completely waned in that. And a game like Hearthstone I can get into because it's, you know, it's it's paced in a certain way. I don't have to be... Uh, you know, a 14 year old who's drank three, two liter bottles of Coke just to <laughs> keep up with the world. Yeah. Um, uh, but other than that, all, all I'm really like when I go to a, when I go shopping for video games, whether it's walking into a store or going to Amazon or whatever, I'm purely looking for a single player. That's all, that's all I care yeah. about. Um, or, you know, a two player co-op, you know, couch, like you're saying. Yeah. Um, uh, Plants vs. Zombies has actually a pretty decent console version that you can play cooperatively simultaneously. Really? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Interesting. Um, uh, but I'm always on the lookout for more. So you were yeah. starting to go into. Well, some yeah, of no, I, 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 I've, I've done it a couple times in the last few weeks. Uh, just had you know a friend over to to play, and um, I've really enjoyed it. Actually, I wasn't I wasn't sure if it was going to like click or not because I haven't done so much of that, but. Uh, but yeah, no, I played a bunch of, uh, it's a great, uh, game called Guacamelee came hmm. out a few years ago. That's a luchador themed, uh, <laughs> Metroidvania. So, you know, you're exploring okay. a map and coming back to sections later when you have greater abilities hmm. so you can explore additional bits of it and unlocking powers over time. And, and it's great. Yeah. It's a, it's a story of a agave farmer named Juan who mm-hmm. is killed by, uh, an evil skeleton when trying to defend his secret crush el mayor's daughter uh and then a the satan brings him back with a powerful mystical luchador mask to Mm -hmm. send him back because satan's pissed because uh the skeleton used to work for him and is fucking things up with his whole afterlife business Uh, and so you go off and you explore the world and you defeat a bunch of goons and then you finally kill the big dude and it's a multi-stage boss fight and and then you win, and then your your girl who you liked uh, is laying there on the slab where she was being sacrificed to power this merging of the world of the living and the dead by the crazy skeleton. And you've defeated him, but then she's dead. And then you realize, oh, I needed to go collect like six orbs to get the not shitty ending. Because the shitty ending is, it's not a shitty ending. I mean, you still saved the world. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of, there's a montage of photos, well, drawings, because it's all animated uh, drawings of your luchador dude in various places sitting around, you know, living life as someone who survived. Um, but then if you go back and do all this super fucking hard shit, uh, and find all six magic orbs and go beat the skeleton, uh, then you get the happy ending where she is saved by the power of the luchador mask you've collected all the pieces <laughs> of. And then the it's the exact same montage of scenes of you, except she's there too, and you're living happily ever after. Anyway, now that I've spoiled the ending of the game, the point mm-hmm. is it's a lot of fun, but it's also co-op. <laughs> now that most of what yeah. the conversation has been yes, spent on it's the a, ending. <laughs> it, 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 it supports co-op. Like I played through most of a single player, and then I mm-hmm. ran over and we co-opted our way through like the last chapter oh, of Oh, see, that's great. I, I mean, that's not something that ever used to exist like uh, jump in jump out co-op yeah like i mean even in the nes days obviously a big part of the marketing was you could sit there with your friends and play cooperatively or competitively but there was never a game where you could get to like level six and then your friend comes over yeah and you could just like have play two player starting your last checkpoint from level six i think i credit the the lego games a lot with really popularizing that style of maybe pop in pop out 
Um, they, obviously, they didn't pioneer it, but I think that that was the fact that so many games have it now. Yeah, it yeah. Probably pick up and play is to, more thoroughly yeah. supportive of an idea, which is great because mm-hmm. um, I think that's a good thing. Right. Um, so anyway, Guacamelee is great. Two players, great. You cool. you can be co luchadors and and beat stuff up together. A game that's really safe uh, bet for uh, in person co op is uh, Sports Friends, which was kickstarted, and it's a collection of uh, independent. Yeah, uh, local no, I, multiplayer I, sh- games. I should pick that up actually at some point. It's it's it rules, and you've already played one of the games, which yeah, is Johann Sebastian Joust, which yeah, is amazing, but which also is an not, amazing, not thing. the easiest one to just randomly pick up because of the equipment needs. Yeah, I, I mean, I have two of the so so you need uh, the PlayStation Move controller, which is the PlayStation 3's. Uh, lollipop shaped yeah you know weird. Wii, oh, yeah, Wii, Wii style we can compete with the Wii right yeah um so but you you need one for every player and the game only really starts to get good around five or six yeah. plus players I would say yeah so it's it, it kind of has a high barrier of entry yeah we played you, you you played as well yeah you, we we were both playing that that first night of I XOXO. played it at both XOXOs that I've oh, been okay. to yeah. yeah um he he showed up with it both times the first time it was part of arcade and the second time he just like was doing it on opening night yeah. for everybody yeah, yeah. And there was like twelve people in the game at a given time and it was amazing yeah it's a it's a pretty amazing game because it's not just about the systems of the game but it's about the systems of how you interact with total strangers to you physically yeah. in in the universe of this game how do we interpret the social contract on the fly when it involves sharing and maybe or maybe not kicking strangers <laughs> right right and i think we talked about it in an earlier episode but that's only one of the several games that come with uh sports friends which is a great great purchase uh the the rest of which are fine for two players and are uh all based around just a regular controller you don't need any special move controllers for um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's a, that's a great Have one. Have you played Mount Your Friends? Because I bought that recently. We're going to go play that after this podcast. Okay. I know it's, it's, it, it's, it's intentionally a bit cheeky in name because what it is, it's a game where you take turns climbing the pile of nearly naked men, mm-hmm. uh, that have been assembled turn by turn. So the, the, the game begins with, you know, however many players, like one to four players, um, there's a goat standing on a pole. You know, you can imagine a goat standing on a pole, balanced mm-hmm. there, all four feet on this stick, and then you're this dude wearing nothing but a loincloth that barely conceals your very bouncy dick, uh, and you 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 land on the ground about ten feet away from the goat, and then your job is to climb up on top of the goat and get above the goat while holding on to the goat. And then you end your turn sort of maybe doing a handstand on top of the goat. And then the next person's turn, they need to climb up the goat and up you and get above where you are and end their turn. And then the next person has to climb the goat and the first player and the second player and get above them. And the controls for this are, are very like uh, sort of Quop or GURP. Uh, the oh, Ben and no. Fadi games that I love your so much. Favorite. So each of, each of your <laughs> limbs, each of your feet and each of your hands has one of the four buttons on, uh, say, an Xbox controller, you know, A, B, X, and Y, and whichever button you're holding down, uh, you control with a left stick and sort of pull your body around by it, and everything else, when it touches uh, the ground or a goat or a person, sticks to it automatically, so you have to press that button to get to let go and then take control of that button. And so you're sort of, like, lurching around in a weird... It's really hard to convey, and it's very confusing learning to do, but it's amazing. And it's just these these random, nearly naked dudes with their swinging dongs <laughs> climbing up each other. And it's 
it's an amazing it's an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. It strikes me as very sports friendly based on my basic understanding of sports friends, mm-hmm. although I don't think it is. Um, but yeah, it's 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 great. Mount your friends <laughs> well, again. Sports Highly friends. Is, sports friends is four or five separate games made by separate developers. They yeah. just got kickstarted. F- basically for a, a console release, but the games are all kind of done yeah. by in, independently of one another. So uh, broad stylistically, but quick to pick up, fun co-op or not co-op, yeah. but a uh, local competitive multiplayer. Um, the the last one I really fell in love with was Nidhogg, which I'm sure you yes. know. Yes, um, the A, a two-player uh, competitive game with extremely simple graphics, but very fluid animation, which is something I yeah. really like. Calls, very very calls Prince kind of, of Persia. To, yeah. Classic Prince of Persia. Prince of Persia or Out of This World is kind of the yeah. where, where my mind goes. Um, but uh, but really, really hyper simple uh, mechanics. But sometimes simple means... Very that, streamlined mechanics. It's, it's, yeah, there's, there's, sometimes simple means they really, really verbs. spent a lot of time making things balanced yes. just so. And, um, yeah, for, for people who have really it, it's, it's a sword, it's a sword fighting game where you've got a couple little guys in, in a, on a screen... And they want to go in opposite directions. It's it's a race to get to your far end of the map. Whoever gets there first wins the match. But the thing is, right. there's a you guy basically, with a sword so You in start way. in the center of five screens. Yeah. And you are uh, trying to make progress towards your end and not the opponent's end. Yeah. But you can only cross over to the next screen in your direction once you've killed the opponent. Uh, no, you can just run. You could jump over someone and run. You can, it's- but not at first. You can't just run past each other and both cross the. You have to. Oh, one yeah, person yeah, okay, has to kill yes, the other it, to start yes, the, the game. The, the off. first, the first screen. Yeah, you have right. To, and and basically, anytime you are killed, you respawn a second later in in your yeah. enemy's path in but, some way or another. So it's a very simple sword fighting game. You've you've got you've got a little tiny pixelated you know line of dots as your sword, and you can sort of have it hold your sword sort of a high head level stance or a sort of mid shoulder level stance or a low sort of hip level stance. And each of you can, you know, raise and lower yours, and then you've got a stab button you can use to stab with a sword. To so, lunge with, yeah. Yeah, so a very simple basic way to kill someone is to stab them with your sword, and if they're just standing there and not blocking, uh, then that can happen. But uh, you're both trying to do it. But you can also jump, as as you often do. You can roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can roll right past one, someone. You could jump right over them, in theory. Uh, and you can also throw your sword. And if you throw your sword and you hit them then that'll kill them. Um, although all they have to do is stand perfectly still while your sword strikes their sword. That they're not swinging around. And Which has to be in the position to yeah. right, deflect. And but you don't have to hit a deflect button or anything. Right, yeah, it'll just bounce right off if they have the right. wherewithal to just stop and let it happen. Mm-hmm. And then the thing is, once you throw your sword, you don't have a sword. Mm-hmm. And You can also disarm the other person by having cross swords and then moving up or down to push the other person's sword out of their yeah hand yeah you know, sort of like a little back and forth sort of right. uh, so, sword conflict so there's thing. a couple scenarios under which you may lose your weapon so if you imagine every like sword fight you've ever seen in a movie uh fencing style sword fight we should emphasize this is not you know broad swords this is very much you know mm-hmm. artful foil mm-hmm. work or whatever it's a very swashbuckly sort of sword fighting thing but so stripped down uh, and very manic too i mean yeah, it doesn't, no, yeah, it doesn't it look fast. like a, a fencing yeah match it looks like a really hectic yeah everything thing. everything's and it's it's wonderful it's really great yeah um, it's because the just the kind of the minutiae of the system is really really well thought yeah out. it's a testament to a very 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 thoroughly tested game design to the point where you look at it and it seems very simple but it's it's hard to 
it's it's easy to not appreciate how much work goes into making something feel mm-hmm. so effortless and simple and balanced. So the Ludum Dare that I talked about in the last, I think this was the last episode um, that uh, I entered with Aaron, the winning game, I think it was the number one overall game. It was the number one in several categories, at least, was called a Bed Hog. And it was a take on Nidhogg, except that it was the graphically, it was way more lush. It was like kind of a a beautifully uh, awesome color palette, beautifully stylized uh, little kid's bedroom where two little kids uh, are using pillows. And it's basically but Nidhogg rules (laughs) where they're swinging and throwing pillows at each other. But pillows are also kind of like like appearing from the bed. And mechanically, there's a couple of differences. But by and large, it's it's really deliberately a take on Nidhogg, except it's little kids having a pillow fight. Nice. And it's really, really delightful. And it's free to play on the Internet. So look it up. i got to check that out. Yeah, it's it's uh, deserved to win as many as it did. For sure. So that, yeah, that's another two player. I mean, I think you can play that. I think they actually developed, which blows my mind that someone can develop an AI for a game in the, in the time scope that, uh, Ludum Dare I think entails, it, it, but it's way obviously way better to play with a friend next to you, and you can play on the same keyboard and stuff. And it's free to play, so check it out. One of the Listener, things that I'm convinced of uh, with game development is that the key to developing something is not that it takes forever to develop any given feature. It's just it takes a while to learn how to develop a given feature. Because mm-hmm. there's stuff that I can actually knock out in a day now that you know when I before I'd done it a few times in a few different languages, I was like, well, how the fuck am I going to do that? And now I've got like two or three strategies for like Hmm. oh well i'll do this and like if i can just make a decision and say oh i'll do that thing more or less the way i know how you know and if i don't fuck it up all terribly then i could you know get a basic version in a few hours and that's an interesting thing about ai the few times i've written a little bit of an ai for something you can usually get the real basic thing working pretty well and the thing Hmm. is it's not going to be competitive but against someone who doesn't know how to play it may be a challenge and it may be enough to learn against it may be enough to actually sort of uh Keep, keep you on your toes for a while until you start to really exploit it mm-hmm. uh, because for an AI to work well it doesn't have to do a whole lot it just has to understand the premise and make a few good decisions and it's usually not very hard to implement a few good decisions yeah well it depends on what your goals of writing the AI are right I mean the if, if the goal is to train the player to play against a real human a little better to understand the mechanics of the game and the rule set and uh, basic strategy and stuff it seems like that's one level but if you like if you're programming like a street fighter arcade game you you have to develop an ai that can't be easily exploited by any of the 100,000 ways oh, sure. that an yeah. ai could easily be exploited right but if you have a blind spot then like well, all you have to do is light punch and then immediately sweep. Light punch immediately sweep, and that beats two thirds of the enemies in the game. Yeah. Right? The game is ruined if your if your AI well, yeah, is no, that no, is building, that building a robust strategy uh, is much and it's harder because than it's building something you never thought to test against. Well, and, and, and that's the thing. I don't think I don't think anybody. For example, fighting games is an interesting example. I don't think anybody who takes fighting games seriously takes AI fighters seriously. Like like. It's no one is no one is getting ultra competitive at Street Fighter to go up against a computer. You know, part of the process of getting ultra competitive about it is probably getting to the point where you can just trounce the computer on the hardest difficulty every time because it's so hard to create a fair but robust AI that can compute compete like a human, you know? Sure, but I think that your goal in designing a game like Street Fighter, especially like when in the in the heyday of arcades. 
um, which is probably past now, I guess, um, is not not just to develop a game that will train the greatest uh, competitive players against each other, but to develop a game for the other 99.999% of the population that's going to be walking into a pizza place or an arcade or whatever and pumping quarters in to try and see how good they can do that day against the computer well, you know, or see okay, if they so, can beat the boss or whatever. So, how so, many quarters does it take to beat M. Bison today? Um and you have ruined your entire goal if you have made a game where a, a particular simple pattern can defeat every boss. I think boss that's actually way less of an issue for the classic arcade scenario than it would be for modern like console games. Like if you put out a fighter game on a console and it's got a shitty AI, your user base is going to be fucking livid because like, oh, it's totally bullshit. You can totally exploit the thing. Hmm. But think about like classically going to an arcade like in the 80s or the 90s. You didn't have that sort of universalized access to the fine details of the game. So even if there was an easy way to cheese your way through like Mortal Kombat, uh, which you, there was because Mortal well, Kombat was more worse. <laughs> I, I'm sure, yes, <laughs> less play tested than but, but games the point like Street like, Fighter, which were you, you knew superior. this because uh, you had that issue of Game Informer, or you knew this because it was late enough that you were able to get like consumer internet access and read about it on like alt dot video games dot, you know, Mortal Kombat or whatever. But generally speaking, you had to go looking for that information in a way that you don't have to today. And going into an arcade, 99% of the the population, even if they would be capable of exploiting that, if they were aware of it, aren't going to know about it. So like in an arcade, you've got two scenarios. You've got people playing by themselves and putting in a quarter in a, in a vacant machine to then play against a computer as long as they can. And then you've got people playing against the guy who's currently holding court at the machine. Hmm. And if you want to pull in money on a fighting game machine, you want that ladder scenario to begin with. You don't care how good your AI is because you want the guy who's good at it to be sitting there riding other people's quarters as he tears them apart. And as they try and take him down and, and maybe some guy comes along who can put up a fight. But even... Even if it's a really evenly matched thing, like like let's say the guy who's owning the machine at the arcade, another guy comes up who's almost as good or slightly better, you know, and they have a real close match. At the most, that's going to eat up like three rounds times 90 seconds on the clock. And I don't know if it's 90 real seconds or it's actually more like 60 seconds. In any case, at most, that's going to eat up. You know, it three, on three what or four the minutes. Switches were yeah, set yeah, to yes, yes. Machine. Okay, shut up. Let's not get into it. We're going to do an episode about arcade machines sometime. In any case, at most, guy puts in a quarter. Drama ensues for like four minutes, like at the long end. Versus person walks up to a machine and plays single player. They're not very good. They get through the first scrub opponent in two or three minutes. They manage to get through the second, slightly less scrub opponent, two or three minutes. And then they get the third opponent and they crater against them. They aren't up to that level of difficulty. Maybe they put another quarter and try again. Maybe they put another quarter trying in. But at that point, they've gotten through like 15 minutes on three quarters, whereas the guy who's tearing people apart has gotten through, you know, eight or 10 people's quarters in those same 15 minutes. That guy is generating more cash for the owner of the arcade than people going in and playing single player, even if they aren't exploiting the AI. So at that point, you really you're making your money off people competing head to head. 
because it takes another quarter every time someone else wants to challenge that guy. Yeah. The math there, I think, backs me up. The best possible outcome. Well, there's there's too many unknowns for it to, <laughs> to actually know. I mean, like, you would have to know how many, you know, games of Street Fighter are single player versus how many games of Street Fighter are, are multiplayer. And I would yeah. think the overwhelming majority is single player. Is, you know, a kid wandering off after he finished a slice of pizza and pumping a couple quarters into a machine while he waits for his parents to be done at the round table pizza. Well, but at that point, does it, if, if you're, if, if the use of a machine is so sporadic that there's no line and there's presumed gaps in between each play of it, then it doesn't matter how good the AI is because someone is just not turning that much money over on that well, machine. Within a finite set of like as finite amount of time, you have that kid's attention before he gets pulled out of the round table. I think you want to give him, like you're saying, you want to give him some reason to go on, but also you want to create a steepening level of difficulty that yeah. it compels him to have to put more quarters in. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I think that I think this calls you're, for a, you're talking a about hitting a wall. Model. I think that like a lot of times I hit, I found a boss I couldn't beat. I put another quarter in after not a boss, but whatever the street fighter enemy who I couldn't beat. I put another quarter in and I actually beat him that time, but then I died on the next one. And that's way more likely I'm going to put a second quarter. Oh, in sure. In that sure. Case yeah. No, because I have like a reason a wall, to believe you're going to drop yeah. out entirely. But. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tricky, but I think that I, I mean I think that you're right to characterize Street Fighter as a game that really really popularized the idea of uh, running the table, whatever, yeah. whatever the equivalent is for video games. Where I mean, I'm sure it happened before Street Fighter, but Street Fighter is the game that you know that's where when you think of like putting a quarter up on the glass. Yeah, Street Fighter Two made that. That's you know a thing to in a say way like I have next been game so much a phenomenon before yeah so. that's 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 where that comes from I think for for, for the most of us for most of us it's, how long has it been since we had a break it's 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 been you know we're we're going on like an hour and a half here I think uh, maybe we should just uh, maybe we should close it up maybe we should just close it up uh, so who knew that was what we were going to be talking about but uh, <laughs> right. I feel like I feel like we could have a whole. Uh, a whole video game episode sometime, and maybe we will at some point. Yeah, I'm sure we could. Uh, um, I managed to avoid talking about talking about sexism on the internet, so that was nice. Well, maybe next time. Uh, um, do you uh, uh, do you ever want to make a video game that's that in depth? Do you ever want to work on a game that, that takes in depth? Well, that takes months and months to complete. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I mean, I. I, I feel I, like you have a skill set that really, you yeah, know, I, and experience. I have nothing against the idea, certainly. I have, I've had many ideas for video games that would take a while to implement, and I like the idea of doing so. Uh, I have and a hard time staying with it. Yeah, I have trouble staying with a project past a few weeks, and that's sure. the challenge, and finding a way to do it, possibly finding a way to actually do that as a, a group thing rather than just literally writing the fragile momentum of my own enthusiasm would be key hmm. to getting something done, possibly having more clearly defined goals from the get-go and a clearer design up front would help too. But uh, yeah, no, I have, I have a few ideas for things that I would like to put that kind of effort into that I've just never quite gotten around to uh, displaying that kind of discipline or fortitude or planning to really execute over the long term in a way that 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 might actually pay off if I put those months into it. But Well, what does a payoff look like? Um, coming away with something that feels really finished and is good and is fun. You're not, you're not looking at like selling a game. Not necessarily. I mean, that'd be great, but I mean, it's, it's one of those things where like, there's so many people who are 
working harder and scraping by or not scraping by or failing utterly to scrape by despite having a richer skill set that mm-hmm. like I feel like if I were to put together a game that managed to turn into money, it would be as much as anything an indication of weird, uh, not entirely fair uh, distribution of good fortune rather than that I had particularly earned that, you know, I mean, Hmm. and that's not to say that I shouldn't ever want to get there. Like if I decide I want to really seriously try and commercially develop a game, there's no reason I shouldn't try. Uh, Luck is just sort of a big part of the nature of everything along those lines. But I don't have any fantasies that the only thing that's stopping me from being sort of a self-sustaining video game indie business is just decide Nyata. You know, it's very much, I think part of it is realistically, that's a hard thing to break out into. I think you can make a little bit of money off it if you're willing to discount the cost of labor. Um, but I think it's hard. I think it's a hard thing. And I think my skill set for game development is so underdeveloped that trying to think of it in terms of making money rather than just making something I'm happy with. Uh, is probably the wrong way for me to go at this point. But you don't think that there's like a video game inside you that's just dying to get out. It's not like a, no, no, some, I, someone yeah, who the, feels like they're so called to writing because they have the this novel and then no, that's just no, I, I have, tearing I, them apart I have until they ideas, get it out on paper. I like and ideas that I hope if I put more and more time into would turn out to be really good, but I don't have anything that's like, yeah, there's no great American novel of a video game inside me. Mm. You know, I'm enough of a video game fan and enough of a video game critic that I have ideas that I think I would like to see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's no there's no great single, you know, destination in mind that like this is my destiny. This is the game I was born to write. This is the thing that must exist in the world. Uh, it's much more things like, hey, you know, it'd be kind of cool if there was a game like this and no one else is making it. Maybe I should try and, mm-hmm. you know, create a prototype at least, mm-hmm. you know. Is where I am. Cool. Yeah. Good talk. Uh, <laughs> let's wrap it up. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nice sitting in this basement talking. We haven't done this in a while and I've enjoyed talking at your place too, but I've also enjoyed this and this, this pile of, of brutalist, uh, foam is really, I love it. I'm warming up to it. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's got something to it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll turn it into something slightly more, uh, boringly linear, but predictable and, All right, talk to you all later. Okay, bye.